Business as Unusual is a thought-provoking podcast that explores the innovative strategies, disruptive ideas, and unconventional practices driving successful leaders and companies in the ever-evolving world of modern business. Subscribe, comment, and share for weekly inspiration with our host, Aisela. Hi, welcome to Business as Unusual. My name is Aisla, and today I am really delighted to be here with Kelly Judd, founder of Kickstart Wellness. Welcome to the show, Kelly. Hi, friend. I'm so happy to talk to you. I am really just, I feel honored that you were willing to join me today because you guys will know afterwards, after you listen to the show, Kelly has such a powerful message that it's very simple. And yet somehow we all overlook these important ways of engaging in life and work. But before we get to her genius, what is the hobby of yours that you think uh, would surprise people? Oh my gosh. I have so many hobbies. So first of all, until about three years ago, I had no hobbies, which was Mm. just like a result of being extremely focused on caring for other people for most of my adult life and not really attending to my own needs. So I'm very much making up for that now in late adulthood because I've realized how important it is for my nervous system and my mental health for me to engage in things like creative projects. Uh, hobbies. I Things I do now, I make a lot of my own clothes. I actually sew and crochet and knit. And since we moved to Rhode Island, I've become an avid beachcomber with a very oh. neurodivergent collecting and cataloging angle on that. So I've been cataloging all of New England's rocks and shells. And um, just to take it to the next level, I've actually purchased a rock tumbler so that all of my carefully cataloged rocks can be more aesthetically pleasing. I love that. I too had a rock tumbler as a young child. I shouldn't mean I'm not calling you a child. I apologize for that. (laughs) As a young human in New England, I had a rock tumbler and would do a similar thing. I was obsessed with beach glass, which I know Mm -hmm. now is litter. And I, I, I still have honestly a bit of a soft spot. I don't know what it is, but like when it's been there, gotten all smoothed over, I felt it was quite magical. I have my sea glass collection is over here. I have some sea brick. I have some driftwood. I have pebbles over here. I'm surrounded by things from the sea today. Nice. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that reminder of the feeling of an East Coast ocean. Because it's (laughs) for people who haven't been to the East Coast, who primarily have been to uh, beaches that are more typical of what you might see on TV. East Coast oceans are very alive and stinky. They're full of no seam bugs and seaweed that's been like invited to bake in the sun. (laughs) It's true. However, we discovered over the weekend, we went to Cape Cod for the first time and I discovered that the national seashore is this beautiful, super clean, rock-free white sand beach. I knew there must be one over here, but you're right. Definitely over here in in Rhode Island, it's very stinky. Stinky was a great word. It's true. And also it's okay (laughs) to have called me a child because all my hobbies were very intentionally selected because they were things that were meaningful to me when I was a kid. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. That's really lovely. Yeah. I grew up uh, outside of... um... I grew up on Gatsby Point when I was a child in, in Rhode Island. So we, the beach was very close to my home when I was young. And... I used to, Gatsby Point is five minutes from me. Really? Yes, oh, wow. 
Oh, when I want to go beachcomb real quick between clients. <laughs> well, there you go. That is where I beachcomb as a child. So it's even more yeah. relevant than I realized. So you have to go to the Gatsby Day Parade. We will. Um, it used to go right by my parents' house. They paint the, um, the street, the yellow lines. They paint them red, white, and blue, which as an adult, maybe I don't love. But as a kid, I was like, I just love that the, you know, parents are doing crafts. And adults, the city does a craft. They change the color of the street. And it's, I don't know, as, it, it's, it's usually in June. It was one of my like childhood joys. My grandfather, they live off of Narragansett Parkway. And they, so we could just walk up to where the parade was. And my grandfather was always doing a clam bake, which I hate fish. So that wasn't fun for me, but everybody else was very happy. I'm so excited for you. I, it's funny because Rhode Island doesn't get a lot of credit, but I think it's a really great state. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. We There are a lot of good things about it. I love the fact that nobody's a stranger. And even yeah. that has been our experience, even as newcomers, is that people aren't necessarily embracing us as their new best friends, but everyone behaves as though everyone else is a neighbor. And it's actually mm. really cool. Like, I feel like the vibe is very friendly here. I think New England nice. gets a bad rap. But the natural beauty is just everywhere. We were blown away by how beautiful the leaves were. And basically what we saw was we stayed in Middletown. So we saw all of Newport, Middletown, and lots of gorgeous beaches over there. Lots of color, fall color. And then we went and had uh, my son's senior pictures taken at, what's it called? Beavertail State Park, which is just astoundingly beautiful. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. There's a lot yeah. good about yeah, there really is. I love when I get to go back and visit. And I, I know you all want to hear us totally geek out over the loveliness of New England and Rhode Island. And I'm going to disappoint you to move on to our business conversation because I want people to also know what you're up to. Would you be willing to tell folks just a little bit about what your business is, what you do? That kind yeah, of thing? for sure. I'm a life coach, actually, and I'm a traditional life coach, one who really works with people who are looking to find uh, their focus and make a change in their life, figure out what they need and how to make their lives align with their needs. And that feels like a very valuable service and opportunity for people to engage in that way in, in the intersection of business and life. Yeah, definitely. And I think what's unusual about my business, which is one of the reasons that I was excited about coming on and talking to you, is that my business and my approach to my business is very aligned with the way that I work with my clients. So what's unusual about my business as a business is that it's very specifically designed for me and my very unique needs. And I've been very intentional about ensuring that as a business owner, I own my business and my business does not own me. So as you, I'm sure we've talked about, I have 20 plus years of experience working for startups. And as you well know, while startups can be really exciting and challenging in all kinds of fun ways, they can be incredibly intellectually stimulating, right? Your life is not your own when you're mm -hmm. one. And so yeah. when I made this very scary decision a couple of years ago to launch a practice as a life coach, I promised myself that I was going to craft a business that was intentionally built to meet my needs and my family's needs. So literally everything about what I do from the hours that I see, the, see my clients to the number of clients that I'm willing to take at a time to 
the kinds of marketing activities I do. I'm very intentionally here with you because I trust you and I feel like this is something that will be aligned with my values and my needs, candidly. So everything about what I do for my business is very much optimized for my comfort and my family's comfort. I love that. And there, there's, it brings to mind several wise sayings I've heard over the years that I fully believe, like how we do anything is how we do everything. And for me also, when I was running the nonprofits, because I feel like a lot of startups and nonprofits, they have some similarities and there's a lot of exploitation, right? Of labor. Yeah. And for me, it was always very important. Like if we're fighting for equity, we have to start with our staff. We have to start with our volunteers. We have to treat, if we want people to be treated like people, we have to model what that looks like. And it's not always efficient. It's not, that's why I think it was both, there were things about it that were hard in the nonprofit world because, you know, there's a lot of capitalism and white supremacy there. And yet there's also some openness to innovation because you're not technically supposed to be focused on profit and you, you can't do extractive profit. So it has a there's some, like I said, some openness to doing things differently. And it was still a fight, honestly, at times, because people's instincts are so exploitive, whether they realize it or not. And so really holding that line. And I think that the wisdom of not exploiting yourself to start means you're much less likely to exploit others. Because that's what I've seen a lot is the unconscious uh, actions that we have are usually because it's stuff we would extend and or do to ourselves. I love that you said that. I think that's absolutely true. I think that's something I work with my clients on a lot is what are you expecting of your kids? This is telling me a lot about what you expect of yourselves, right? Or where mm -hmm. can I work with you to help you understand that you deserve kindness, you deserve gentleness, right? You deserve compassion. And it's amazing how when we start to understand that we deserve kindness, gentleness, compassion, care, how we start to care for others in our lives in different ways, exactly as you just described. A lot of us have had bad experiences working for leaders who just didn't believe that they deserved kindness. And it's that simple. It's mm -hmm. all about the people exclusively. It's all about their worth being tied to their productivity. And ideally, everyone in leadership would get training on their own value and their own worth and their own, candidly, like our relationships with these companies are not healthy. Our companies mm -hmm. are not there. No matter what they say, you know, like Mental Health Awareness Month, your company is not there to make you happy. It's there to make money. Yeah. Right? And at the end of the day, as all of us know who have worked in startups, like at the end of the day, something's going to happen. And you will or won't be taken care of. And honestly, 80, 90% of the people that I've worked with over the past 20 years haven't been taken care of. So the lesson is care for yourself all the way through because the business you're working for does not have your back. Oh, it's true and unfortunate. It, and I have more thoughts, but I want to make sure I actually ask you all of the questions about your business. So I'm going to move on to... What in your life or your past set the stage for you to get into this or see it as a need? And if you have a story that you can share that inspired you or the best way for you to share that uh, from your perspective? Yeah, I'll tell you what I always tell folks when I do new client consultations, when I'm like, I'm going to give you the two minute overview of how I've arrived at this business and what I do. As I said, I've got 20 years of experience leading uh, sales and growth, sales and marketing teams within startups, either as a consultant or as an in-house leader. And about five years ago, 
I realized as happens to us in midlife that I was just deeply unhappy professionally. And, you know, I looked around and I tried to figure out like what I needed to change. I wasn't quite sure. I'd already made some significant changes in my life. Candidly to that point, like notably, I left a 14 year old marriage that had become incredibly unhealthy for me. So on the other side of that huge decision, I was really discovering what I needed and what I deserved in life. Right. So I started thinking about my career in a different way. Don't I actually have the right to feel fulfilled professionally now? And so I made the really scary decision at that point to go back to school to be a therapist, which is what I had always wanted to do. 18-year-old Kelly was all about being a therapist. And about two years into that graduate school program, which not coincidentally, by the way, was the summer of 2020. <laughs> a lot going huh. on. But I, I, I feel like there's something else happening that year. But... It's like okay. it, was <laughs> it was a couple yeah. of things, really. A couple, couple of things. Right. But I realized, wait, whoa, this is not at all what I want to do with my life. Like I suddenly realized, and I mean, I was at the finish line of this program, but I suddenly realized that what I was learning was to help people cope better with mm -hmm. suboptimal circumstances. Ooh. And I thought, no, this isn't it. This isn't it for me. This is not what I want to do, right? I want to help people change the way they cope with suboptimal circumstances. I want to help people change those circumstances. So what I absolutely love about what I do now is that unlike therapy, I am not helping people change their minds or change their feelings. What I do is I help people change their lives. Hmm. I was feeling that for a second. <laughs> Because I think that is a really powerful and beautiful way to provide people an opportunity to choose themselves into something that actually works. So many of us, in addition to the ways that we might treat ourselves badly and treat other people badly, I feel like we we have so much messaging that tells us we're supposed to be away based on someone else's arbitrary identification of something about us and learning to identify where that has taken you away from your path. Because I actually don't feel like it always does. You, we all have some inner wisdom that guides us, but we might feel guilty or afraid or like we're doing something wrong because we're following that wisdom or alone and isolated, you know, and just limited in how we can share and connect. And, and so really helping people to see that it's not them. It's the world's, it's the world's behavior, I mean, and I say the world, but like a certain, I would say a certain part of the, the dominant culture, because I would say it's everybody, but there's just a, the way that goes down is very, it's disheartening at times. So I thank you that, thank you for doing this work and sharing. I love that kickstart wellness. That's exactly it, right? I love that you said that about external influences and how external influences become the voices that we hear in our head. Yeah. And so we start telling ourselves that the problem is us. And one of the most profound realizations, frankly, that I had during that time in grad school was how horribly I personally had been failed by the mental health system over the years. Because for decades, and I hear this all day, every day when I meet with potential new clients, like for decades, I've been showing up in therapist's office and essentially saying like, Hey, I have these needs that are apparently super inconvenient for everyone around me, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just feel like I'm destined to be unhappy. I'm incredibly anxious. I'm depressed. I have all of this chronic illness as a result. And I would just 
beg these therapies, please help me get rid of these terribly inconvenient needs. Yeah. Like, how wild is that? And while therapists were more than happy to like, they were more than happy to just diagnose me with adjustment disorder, right? Which was quite literally exactly what it sounds like, failure to adjust to difficult circumstances, right? And, and they were more than happy to help me change my thoughts and shove my needs further down. What they mm -hmm. weren't willing to do was ever, for example, propose that, hey, you might have ADHD or you might be autistic, which are both true and which would explain for example, why my needs were so much different than everyone else's. And certainly nobody ever said, hey, what if we actually just honored your needs and changed your life to meet them? Yeah. And I will deviate a little bit in terms of saying it's not dissimilar, honestly, with my work. I do business development for small businesses and not the $50 million a year, small businesses like local and uh, community-based businesses. I didn't know that was not a small business until our friend Nora explained that she works with small businesses. And I was like, oh, but we have a different meaning for that. Side note, Nora's awesome. She was on the show a little while ago. Folks go listen to that episode after this. But that thing for me is I run into people constantly who are genuinely brilliant at what they're doing. And they have a powerful service, product, set of information, program, like what you're talking about, something that's genuinely beautifully powerful and and uniquely developed and they have to fight through that self-doubt and they all have figured out how because they wouldn't be where they were if they hadn't but I feel like one of the things that I constantly do with my clients is really remind them that well no one can do it all nor should they it's too many things you know having partners tools and support is part of the, the human condition and it makes it does make your business better in my opinion but it's not because you lack something. It's not because you're not good enough. It's not because you can't do everything you need to do. Like, why wouldn't we honor people as they are and provide them with tools that work for them so they can achieve these amazing, brilliant things that they have inside of them to offer us and our community and to express themselves and be fulfilled? Like, I, To me, that seems really great. And I don't know why there's a resistance to it. I don't know. I think we have just, for our for so long, we've lived within the a universe that doesn't support individual needs. It just doesn't. Yeah. And so what is critical, I'm too old for that business. I'm not going to have that anymore. Oh, not for me, not for my clients, not for my family. We're not going to shame ourselves for being who we are. We're not going to shame ourselves for having needs, even if our needs are different than 90% of the people we know. Our needs mm -hmm. deserve be met just as much as the 90%. So it's just about identifying what those needs are and then finding out how to meet them. It's very simple. When you stop shaming yourself for who you are and what you need, mm -hmm. the whole world opens up. Tell me about advice you've received that has influenced the way you approach your work or something you took as advice. Advice? I Honestly, I am very much a blaze my own trail kind of person. So I'm not a person who now, as you can imagine, based on the conversation we just had about hearing people's voices mm -hmm. more loudly than my own for much of my life, I'm not somebody who internalizes a lot of advice. You know? So mm -hmm. my approach to my actual client work is actually very much my own, although I would say that it's influenced by certain people. It's influenced by Kristen Neff's work on self-compassion and some of the Greater Good Science Center's work on happiness. But yeah, in terms of advice, I think something that I go back to frequently 
that is more of a framework, I think, than maybe a piece of advice is something my coach says a lot. And it is this, if it's not a strong yes, it's a no. And I'm sure you've heard that one, right? And it's all about, I love it because it's about trusting yourself. It's about trusting your body, like your literal gut that you make about people, places, and circumstances. So if your body says no, hard no, or sometimes it just doesn't say yes, that's a soft no. And a soft Mm -hmm. no is still a no. So if it's not an enthusiastic yes, it's a no. I love that. That's great. What does success look like to you? Oh, I love this question. This is one that I use in my client work a lot too, because it gets to the heart of what matters the most to someone, right? It's the key question. What does success look like to you, not your dad or your professional peers? (laughs) So success to me, which is now this has been very well thought through because this was the entire foundation upon which I built this business. It's about fulfillment first and foremost, like that is a must have. And then beyond that, it is about earning just enough to ensure that my family and I are physically safe, adequately fed, supported, as we were just talking about, supported in the ways that we need to be supported as neurodivergent people, and that we're regularly able to engage in the activities that make us happy. And thankfully for us, those are pretty simple, as we discussed. I just need to be relatively near the ocean, have some outdoor beauty, and have a rock tumbler. I support that as a very wise way to connect and find joy. They're loud, though. I wonder if they've gotten less loud. No, they haven't. I no. have to turn it off right before we started. It sits, it sits out here in my office. So mm-hmm. I have to turn it off every time I have a client session, which is not very efficient for tumbling rocks, I've got to tell you. Yeah. You need a soundproof booth that you lock yourself in. That's going to be more fulfilling, right? Indeed. (laughs) People can't see me shaking my head as I say that. I like, what do you call visual irony? So my experience with Forging Your Own Path and supporting people in finding ways to be more present with their own fulfillment is it can have at moments a feeling of really pushing against the tide, swimming upstream. So when you hit something like that, where there's a moment of discouragement or overwhelm, what do you do? Can you talk a little bit about what you do to keep yourself inspired or how you recharge? Mm, Yes. Swimming upstream is an interesting concept. It's interesting how some of us are comfortable with it and some of us are not. I think it starts with really working on self-compassion being attentive to the feelings that arise when you are tired, for example, or you're uninspired and simply acknowledging that it's okay to feel that way. For me, that was like, it's one of those things that seems really obvious, but unfortunately it's not like you can't rest. You can't rest effectively unless you can give yourself the grace and the assurance that it's okay to rest. So starting with self-compassion But in terms of inspiring myself, I'm incredibly lucky. I feel very inspired by the work that I do every day. But as an autistic person, as you can imagine, I very much have to build substantial recharge time into my week. So as I said, my business is built for my needs. So I do that recharging by scheduling clients four days a week. And then I do a three-day weekend and I make sure 
that at least one of those days, weather permitting, which has actually been hard, actually, in New England in the fall, but <laughs> weather permitting, I make sure that one of those days includes substantial time in nature. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Growing up, we barbecued uh, and grilled in the snow. Like New Englanders are just like, whatever the weather is. And it's a little bit like Colorado. Colorado is a little bit more limiting uh, because the weather here can be genuinely like stop you. Right? One of the things that you just said, too, that I think in addition to self-compassion, I want to call back to something else you mentioned, which is trusting yourself. I feel like that's uh, also like you talk about doing that with your clients. And I think that's also a really core part of what we're talking about uh, in terms of recognizing, like, trusting yourself that a three-day weekend is a choice that you can make that is good for you. Because I feel like a lot of times, once again, we go back to that should where people are like, oh, I can't do that. I'm getting away with something. And yet, what is it you're getting away with is making sure that you have the sustenance that you need. It's like saying the right amount of nutrition, specific body situation is getting away with something. And similarly, that feels like both parts, the self-compassion that you teach, but I think also that, that trust piece, trusting your instincts around what that looks like or feels like, that feels really important. And I personally feel like I've seen that in personal and professional spaces where people do know and they do understand and they don't trust themselves that it's okay, that they are allowed to make that choice for themselves. You're 100% right. That's true of time and that's true of money. I work with a lot of folks who are transitioning from traditional nine to fives into some sort of entrepreneurship situation, whether that's like gig work or starting their own business, which is gig work is starting your own business, obviously. But folks who are making that transition struggle to believe that they don't have to just grind 40 plus hours a week. Like they just don't. I never encourage someone to step into entrepreneurship unless they understand what the goal is and they're willing to build their business around a specific goal. How much money do you need? Start there. How much money do you need? Make that much. But people don't look at life that way. They think that they're supposed to make as much as they possibly can, which by extension translates to work at this job as much as I possibly can. But if you're doing that, you're missing out on the entire point of having the money. Which is your life. Yeah. Exactly right. Which is your life. I literally just worked with someone who was um, leaving a nine to five job doing a very lucrative freelance work. And we did, we ran the numbers and I was like, look, you can make way more money and work half the hours that you're working. If you work for yourself, the common, this is a common conversation for me to have with my clients about entrepreneurship and they have specific skills. And she made this transition. She wanted more time with her kids and she was able to reduce her workload literally to 20 hours a week and was making more than she was making in her full-time job. Wow. And Yes. In four weeks. It was incredible. (laughs) That's magical. Incredible. And we're every week though, we would talk and she would say, I'm going to take more contracts. I'm going to take more contracts. And I kept saying, why you did this because you wanted the time, not the money, but everybody else's voice was saying, Oh, look at this. You're a genius. Let's make more money. Let's make more money. Let's make more money. And we don't have a social safety net. And so fear of if I don't have enough and what's enough like if I have a medical yes. issue or whatever? And so I feel like that's part of what we're addressing too. In addition to the voices, you always want more. And that's, I think, a distinct and valid reality. And then also in America and the US, we don't have any like healthcare or social safety net really. 
And so there's always in the back of your mind, oh, if, what if, but the thing that yeah. I feel like I came to, that's true if I'm working at a company or for myself, that there's still no social safety net. <laughs> at least know, I get a better fulfilling life right now. <laughs> you're hundred percent right. And as we've seen so much in the last 12 months, there is no safety working for any company in any role of any size, right? Yeah. Like you can lose your job overnight. That happened to me in 2018 after a company was acquired. Like I lost my job over. I didn't have savings. I was recently divorced. It was a very challenging thing. And that's been happening to more and more people. Yeah. So you can choose the idea of safety and security in yeah. a nine to five. Right. But ultimately I don't think it's, I don't think it's more stable then if you've planned, if you've planned your business, I don't think it's more stable to work for a company than it is to work for yourself. You do have to plan for some of the things that you're talking about. Like I do need to have a savings account, obviously, right? Yeah. I do need to be saving for retirement. But what I don't need to be doing is just spending every hour of my life and every ounce of my energy on building some kind of empire that I won't get to enjoy because all of my time is going to work. And I feel like that me is that awareness that if, if I don't do it now, will I really do it? And it's actually, I've been thinking about writing a blog. Hopefully I'll write it before this and then I can tell like, people can go see it. But about, I hear a lot from people about, oh, someday I'm going to make it. I'm going to have all sorts of money and then I'm going to be this generous philanthropist. And the thing is money's an amplifier. So if you're not doing it in some way now, you are not going to do it when you have $6 million. You're going to find some way that you don't have enough, that you need to like legitimately, that's air quotes for those of you who can't see me, hoard your money so you can have a spaceship or whatever. You'll lie to yourself the way you're lying to yourself right now. Because if it's not a priority right now, it's not going to be one. And that doesn't mean that you're supposed to give 30% of your income away. Don't be ridiculous. It's just that if you don't have a habit of donating, sharing, community contribution and service, you are not going to suddenly develop one when, you know, strike gold or whatever that is. So if you really legitimately believe that's what you want to do, start now in just one way, incorporate that into your behavior and your thinking. That's my platform soapbox for the moment. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Round of applause, round of applause. And, and if I don't write a blog, now you all have, you know, what I think about in the mornings. <laughs> it's like, I'm a really fun person to chill with because I'll be like, hmm, let's talk about social justice while we're chilling <laughs> on a Saturday night, right before we go out to, you know, the club or something. But luckily there are folks like you, Kelly, who are just like, that's a fun topic. Let's do that. <laughs> and I'll oh, tumble, you know? <laughs> You want to see me like absolutely freeze like a deer in headlights, ask me to talk about draperies or soccer. <laughs> but you want to talk about social justice. I'm here for it all day. <laughs> I love it. There's this, a TikTok video. I am a TikTok supporter, aficionado. And I, I've sent this to a couple of my friends because I'm really curious. So if you want to find out what your friends think about you or how well they know you, ask them if they see you arguing on a corner with someone, what is, you, what is it you're arguing about? <laughs> and I'm like... Oh, I'm curious what they would think. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's a great question. Yes. I would be arguing with someone about not being nice enough to themselves. That's what would be happening. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who thrives with your service? 
Ooh, my clientele, my roster has actually gotten a little bit more diverse in the last month. Uh, and I've been working with some young cis men, which is new for me. And it's actually been really fun. I don't have a lot of cis men in my life, but I would say my core clientele is really women and folks under the queer umbrella between probably 35 and 55. And it's folks who feel like they're stuck in cycles of dysfunction and self-sacrifice and who really need help figuring out what they need and how to get it. I, for, for the folks who are listening, who are like, that's me, my best friend, my partner, and six people that I work with, because I'm 100% sure a couple of folks are going to think that. How do they learn more? Follow you, get in touch, stay connected. Yeah, I'm on Instagram, Threads, and TikTok. Those are my only socials aside from LinkedIn. So Instagram, Threads, and TikTok as Psychodynamic Coach, if folks want to follow. But also, if they want to get in touch, reaching out to me on LinkedIn is always a great way to do that. Thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your stories and what you're up to. I just am delighted that you were willing to come on and talk to me. Oh, thank you so much. This was as fun as I knew it would be. Hey, all right. Bye, everybody.